The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. Welcome back to the cave. It's raining outside. It's kind of a nasty day, so take your shoes off, please. We got a fire built in here, so you can stay warm, and dry your socks off. Um, our little. I wish. Yeah, that's kind of mean, wasn't it, to say that? Yeah. All right. There's no I fire like built. Fires. I know there's no fire built because uh, I'm always hot. The thing about a cave, though, is it's always when it's really cold outside, it's always warmer inside, and when it's really hot outside, it's always cooler inside. So I think we're okay. Our little talk is playing on the floor with the the rocks and the cave worms and and uh, I mean we keep it nice in here. It's not really there's not really cave worms. But anyway, thank goodness. Welcome to Cardboard Cave. Uh, your board game. We don't really have a catchy thing. Like I don't know what we're about, but we just play games. We talk about them. We review them. It's not always the new hot games. It's just kind of whatever we want to talk about. While our little son coos in the background. So, Anna, um, how are you feeling today? I feel pretty good. I'm glad that you're home, even though you beat me at this game. I'm glad you didn't just cut that sentence off. The third. (laughs) I'm glad you're home, even though you beat me at this game. (laughs) Oh, um, no, I lost this morning, but that's okay. It was still fun to play. So, yeah, we're going to be getting into our topic. I'm going to say uh, this episode is going to be all about Last Wheel. Um, we started this podcast just focusing on one game at a time. And then I derailed us for two episodes in a row and talked about a bunch of different stuff. But now we're back to focusing on one game and I guess we'll just keep doing it however it makes sense. Um, finally living up to what I said we would do in that we're not always going to cover the hottest new popular games. Because Last Wheel is a 2011 game, which in the world of hobby board games is kind of on the old side. Um, it's the year we started dating. See, Our we both relationship re- is kind of on the old side, too. We both remember important things. I remember when Last Wheel came out. You remember when we started dating? Yeah. That's why this works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by Vladimir Suki, which I pronounced very incorrectly on the last episode as Suchi or Sushi. <laughs> but... uh. Old Vladimir here made this game with CGE, Check Games Edition. Uh, again, is published in 2011. Board Game Geek says it's a hand management, worker placement, action points game. And I guess I agree with that. We'll get into how it works shortly, but you are definitely placing workers. You are managing your hand of cards, and you are spending action points. It makes sense, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the users on Board Game Geek rate this game as far as the heaviness scale a 2.7, um, which basically this scale tells you not necessarily how complex the rules are, but how deep, how meaty, how heavy the game is. Um, so it goes on a 1 to 5 scale. So a 2.7 is 
medium light to medium, meaning the average person who's a gamer. So it's going to be skewed on the low side anyways. But the average gamer says this game is almost medium weight, but on the light end of medium weight, sort of. Like just below medium weight. Um, What do you think of that? Do you agree with that? Not well, not really, because I found it hard to. I, I found I found it a little bit difficult to get into I'm, when you started teaching it. Sorry, I'm pointing at the microphone. Anna does a better job of looking at the microphone when she speaks than I do, but I notice when she's not, so I'm annoying and pointed out. Yeah, I I mean it was fine once we started playing it, but it's been a long time since you taught a game, and I had to really start playing it to understand it. Because usually, usually I sit down and look at a game like, oh, this is that mechanic, this is that. I know what to do here. And this this one was just a little more difficult, I thought, to learn. I would say I agree maybe with the 2.7 weight once you've played a few times. But I agree with you. It feels heavier than that the first couple of times. Yeah, there's but a lot of, just a lot of components, a lot of, game. I mean, you'll get into that, but... I feel like the Board Game Geek weight scale is usually skewed way too low anyways because a game that makes your brain burn might be rated a 3, 3.2. Like, why does the scale go all the way to 5? But then you got these, you know, super realistic war games that take 20, 30 hours to play. And yes, compared to that, this is on the light side. <laughs> so it really depends on your frame of reference, I guess. Um, I would say this is maybe what something people would know. Uh, all right, Pandemic or Settlers of Catan are games a lot of people know. This is definitely a step above those. But mm-hmm. to me, it's less than La Havre or Agricola, something like that. But yeah. closer to those. Our baby is making a lot of thumping noises right now. I think Anna's going to check that out. Um, <laughs> so this game retails for 50 bucks, but on Amazon or Cool Stuff Inc., or probably most online retailers, you can still find this game at, at some places, even though it is eight years old at this point. You can get it for 35 to $38, somewhere in that range. Um, so that's, you know, pretty standard for a, a, a board game in a medium-sized box like this. The designer, Vladimir Suki, is best known for uh, several games. Shipyard, Last Wheel, Pulsar 2849 and Underwater Cities. Uh, Underwater Cities is a game that came out just... I can't remember if it's technically 2018, but it's a, it's a pretty new game. Underwater Cities uh, is a game I would love to play. It is blown up right now. And I would say it's Vladimir Suki's blowout hit. But certainly some of these other games uh, got him some reputation as well. Um... I really do want to play Underwater Cities. It's one of those games that would end up on a Christmas list if I don't get it on my own before then. Um, it's been compared to Terraforming Mars, but maybe even like a step further in just uh, complexity. <laughs> but anyways, this game that we're talking about is primarily a card game, but it's not just a card game. So let's just get into it in our How to Play segment. So we're going to start out every episode that focuses on a game, telling you how to play the game, and I'll do my best to not bore you to tears. 
but also to show you in a way that hopefully you can visualize it without actually seeing the game in front of you, because this is no easy task, I figured out, um, explaining a game without visuals. But the story to Last Wheel is how things start out, and it's one of my favorite things about the game. So according to the front of the manual, here is the story to Last Wheel. Your uncle has died. Hooray! This is your chance to become rich. You never knew your uncle, but you've heard stories. He was one of those millionaires who achieved staggering wealth during the development of Victorian England. He was also a bit of a hermit, too. He was too focused on his business to have any friends. On his deathbed, he surveyed his vast riches and realized that he never took the time to enjoy them. And so he decided to leave his fortune to his most competent relative, the one who is the best at enjoying the pleasures money can bring. In his last will, your uncle stated that each surviving relative will receive a certain amount. Whoever can spend that amount the fastest will get the rest of the fortune. But don't think that spending all that money will be as easy as it seems. So the thing to last will is definitely the hook that I think gets most people into it. Um, because just looking at it, I don't know if it would immediately have drawn my attention, but I love the the theme of trying to blow your money. You try to play as inefficiently as possible. Though really that's not true. You're still trying to play efficiently, but you're trying to play efficiently at losing everything. Um, so... To be honest, it doesn't necessarily change the way the whole game plays, but it does change the way it feels. I love the story of getting this amount of money and trying to blow it in the best way possible uh, to become broke the fir- the fast. The fast? The quickest. There we go. Um, so the goal is just what the, what the manual says. You'll start with a certain amount of money, uh, a beginner game, it recommends 70 pounds. I think it's supposed to be 70,000 pounds. So you start with 70,000 pounds, which are these little money tokens. And you want to get down to zero. You want to become bankrupt. And the first person to do that, that round will finish. And whoever has the least money will win. So if more than one person goes bankrupt, then whoever has the most debt will win. Um, but it will end the end, ending the round when someone goes bankrupt. The trick is, if you have any properties, which is one of the main ways to blow money, because it is expensive owning property, I can tell you. Uh, if you if you still have properties, you're still not considered bankrupt. You have to sell those properties, hopefully at a huge loss, um, and then you have to spend that money, then you're bankrupt. So you can't actually go in debt until you've gotten rid of your property. Um, so it can be tricky selling at the right time so that you don't get too much money. But... I'm just going to go over the flow of the game now that you know the goal is just to get rid of your money and any properties um, to become bankrupt. It will last seven rounds if someone doesn't become bankrupt before then, um, but it will definitely end at the end of seven rounds if no one's bankrupt before then, and then it'll just be whoever's the poorest at that point. Um, so the game basically has five phases, but really there's only much happening in two of the phases, I would say. So the five phases of, the, of a round, the first phase is called setup. And in this one, all you're doing is seeding the cards onto the, the, the board. There's a shared board that shows the cards we have available. 
And depending on the round, the type of card that comes out may be different. There's four basic types of cards in the game, and they are the meat of the game. And then there's a special deck of cards, which is just like stronger variations on some of those cards. And so in setup, all you're doing is setting out the cards for the round. Then the planning phase. This is where you take turns on the left side of the uh, shared main board. There's these hourglass tokens. And this is sort of planning out your day. You're choosing a day plan. If you can imagine some spoiled, rich millionaire sitting down with his daily planner and saying, how do I want to waste my money today? That's what you're doing. And really all this means is what you choose here determines how many actions you're going to get and how many cards you're going to get from these decks. Um, And it can be a tricky part of the game, deciding, do I want more actions this time? Do I want more cards? Um, Also, your errand boys, which are your workers, these... This phase, the planning phase, will determine if you get one or two of those, um, which I'll explain in the next phase, which is the errands phase. Now, this is where you actually use your two workers, one or two, depending on what you did in the planning phase. And there are these little cool top hats. And you simply send them out to one of the spaces on the board. And most of the spaces are simply a face-up card. So these four face-down decks of cards which you can draw from during the planning phase. There's one turned up for each type, and it varies based on the round, but there's at least one from each deck for the most part. And you send out your little errand boys to get to pick one of these face-up cards. So maybe there might be a round where you don't really love any of the face-up cards, so you do other things. There might be a round where you want three of the face-up cards badly, but you've got to choose. Because obviously, like any worker placement game, once someone puts their worker on a space and they collect that card, it's gone. So how many? Let's see, like five. It depends on the number of players in the game, but roughly six spaces are dedicated to cards, face-up cards. And then there's a couple other things you can do if you don't want a card. You can actually just spend $2 by going to the opera. It's a, a single space that only one person can pick. Go to the opera. Each player has a space where they can choose any face-down card from any of the decks. They can do that one time per round. You can mess with the market, the house market. And I won't go too in-depth about that now, but basically this determines what kind of houses are selling for more or less. And then you can extend your player board. So you've only got room for five cards on your player board. It's like your tableau. You've only got room for five, but if you go to this extension space, you can add uh, an extension to extend your player board. We've played games where we've not extended our player board at all. I have extended my player board two of the games and used it. Was glad to have it. So it's one of those things that you may not even do or you may want to do a couple times. It just depends on, on the game. So that's pretty much it. You got choose your cards, extend your player board, spend $2, which again, spending money is good in this game draw a face-down card, or rearrange the market tokens to make different houses worth more or less. That's the errand phase. Then the action phase is where you actually carry out the actions. And based on the planning phase earlier, you might have as few as one action, as many as four actions, possibly even more if you have some special cards that give you more. 
But the actions are basically just playing cards. If it's a white card, a white-bordered card, it's an experience. It's a one-time event, basically. And you just do whatever it says. For example, I have here a card that's an experience. It's a white card. So that means it's going to go away as soon as I play it. It does not go on my individual player board. It just goes back to the discard pile. This is a boat trip. This boat trip requires two actions. So you have to spend two of your personal actions. But it wastes $4. It wastes four pounds. And if you take a guest with you, it wastes an additional three pounds. So the guest cards, they're called companion cards, is this deck of cards that have either, well, (laughs) it's like Victorian-era women or dogs or horses or chefs. And on this particular card, it wants a guest. So if you take a lady friend with you on this boat trip, you can waste seven pounds. Um... There's another one here that's a carriage ride, and it's simply waste four pounds for an action. But you also have black-bordered cards that go on your board, and they stay there for the rest of the game unless you choose to get rid of them. For example, here's a carriage card that's black-bordered. So it's like your own personal carriage, and it costs you $1 per round, which again is good. You're trying to get rid of money. But if you throw a guest on the carriage, it's another $3. And this stays on your board and can be activated once every round. But also, in addition to things like carriages or going to the theater or fancy dinners, you can have properties on your player board. Properties are, of course, black-bordered cards because they stay on your board. The cool thing about properties is when you pick up a property, you pay the price that's on the property plus or minus whatever the current property market is and that's where I told you earlier on you can mess with that property market and you can really get in each other's way with this you can make a property somebody's about to buy go down in value which is bad because you want to waste a lot of money and now all of a sudden when I buy this farm I should have been spending 12 pounds but now I'm only spending nine because you messed with the property market but it can also go the other way and maybe I'm spending 15 for this which is great And a property is cool because you hope to buy it at a high price and sell it later at a loss. And every round, you can spend an action to maintain the property. Just like real life, it is not free to live in a house. You're going to have to do some painting and yard work and, you know, all kinds of things. And so you can imagine, like, with these mansions and big townhouses, like in this game, every round you maintain them, you're spending money. So... And that's a pretty cool mechanic because some of the houses will depreciate in value if you don't maintain them. So it's like a trade-off to not maintain it, but to let it depreciate in value. Um, And then eventually, you'll want to use an action to sell the property. Selling a property does take an action, unlike any other card, which you can just discard anytime you want to. Selling a property takes an action, and then unfortunately, you have to gain back the money. But if you played your cards right, then you're selling at a loss. So maybe you paid 14 pounds for this property several turns ago, but now, thanks to the market and thanks to it depreciating just turn after turn, it might only be five pounds you're getting back for it. So you've done well in that case. Plus, you've been paying money to maintain it. So the properties are a big part of how you blow money in this game, which again is the whole point. But remember, you can't declare bankruptcy and end the game until all your properties are gone and your money's gone. 
Uh, there's so I've explained the experience cards. They're the white bordered ones. They're just one time events. You have boat trips, going to dinner, going to the theater, carriage rides. You can throw raging parties. You can do all kinds of things, just like a one day experience to blow money. Then you've got the property deck, and there's several different types of properties with different values. You have the companion deck, which makes certain experiences more costly. It even adds to certain properties. Um, like I put a bunch of dogs on my farm, on this particular farm I had, and it was very lucrative for me because all these dogs were making this property just very expensive to, to maintain, kind of like real life. And so I had this dog farm, and it was costing me tons of money. I was bleeding money, which was perfect because it's what you want to do in this game. So that's the companions. The companions you can think of as add-ons. They're like spice. They're spice that make certain cards better. The final deck is the cards that it's called helpers and expenses, but really you can think of these as cards that help other cards. For example, it might say you spend $2 for every farm you have. You spend a dollar for every horse you have. You know, you might have ones that actually give you extra actions. Um, things like that. The helper cards basically make your cards stronger. Your your properties can be more costly. They can make, every time you go to the opera, it can be more expensive. You know, every time you play a card that has the, the C symbol or the dinner symbol, it's more costly. You know, you might have your own personal chef. You know, your own personal chef that makes, every time you take a dinner reservation, it's more expensive. Which again, is good in this game. So it's a lot. It's a lot, and I'm not going over every detail, but basically you've got four decks of cards plus a special deck, but they're all helping you waste money in different ways. you got your black-bordered ones that stay on your own personal tableau, and then you got the white ones that are just one-day experiences that go away and you're done with them. And then the final action, I mean, sorry, the final phase of any round is the end-of-round phase. And this is simple. You simply... Discard down to two cards, and this is painful sometimes, because you might have a hand of cards and you ran out of actions to spend them, to play them. Because it always costs at least one action to play a card. There's no way around that. And you have to discard down to two. Even if you have a hand of cards in your hand, you've got to go down to two. Uh, then you depreciate your properties. So any property you did not pay to maintain goes down in value, which is good for you. Um... The farms don't depreciate, though. They're, they work a little differently, but most of the properties can depreciate. Uh, then basically just take all your stuff back, pass the start player marker, move the round marker, that kind of thing. That's it. You're ready for the next round. Again, it'll end at seven rounds if no one has gone bankrupt before then. But on any round, if someone has used all their money and has no properties, that will be the final round. Both players will get to do their turn, or how many ever players you get to do your turn. That's it. If no one has gone bankrupt at the end of the game, then you just see whoever's the poorest and properties will be at whatever their value is, plus five. So there's a little bit of a penalty for having properties left over at the end of the game if you did not go bankrupt. Um, and that's it. The poorest one wins. Um, <laughs> that was a lot. Um, and I'll just, before we move into the review, I'll just say... Obviously, like any game, for me, I would need to read the rule book. I'm not very good at learning from other people talking. The rule book for this game was good. I got it. I got a pretty good understanding of it, 
from reading the rule book and setting it up and getting ready. But it's definitely one of those games that you need somebody who's a gamer to teach it. Um, somebody who understands, you know, slightly heavier games. Um, there's quite a bit of symbology on the cards. I think it makes a lot of sense once you've played it. But, for example, it might say, it might show a a horse and a number two. Well, that just means that you get to spend $2 for every horse you have. Or it might show, um, let's see, trying to think of one of the more complex ones here. Like, it might show two different houses and then say plus three. That means any time you maintain houses of either of those two types, you get to spend an extra $3. Basically, all these symbols amount to getting to do extra things or spend extra money. And I don't think it's bad at all once you know how it works. But someone's going to really need to read the rule book carefully and pass around this. On the back of the rule book is all the symbols and what they do. Um, I don't need that anymore. Honestly, I'm good. But since Anna didn't read the rule book and only had to go based on what I said, she still likes to have this um, this summary on the back. So, it, just based on the rules, I would say this game is harder than average to teach. But I still enjoy teaching it for the most part, and it's not its not a bear to teach. But it's definitely a solid medium-weight game as far as teaching it. And even harder than some medium-weight games. Whew. But I'm tired of talking about the rules. I'm ready to move on to our review of Last Wheel. Okay, so that kind of wore me out a little bit. This is one of those games that just has more to it than you realize until you start teaching it. But the theme is so cool. Pretty much everything you do, to me, ties into the theme. Yes, it's kind of confusing. There's there's technically five decks of cards, including the special ones. But they all serve a purpose of helping you blow money. So I don't think it's it's not as overwhelming as it seems at first. But what, let's just start with art and the components. The physical quality of the stuff, the artwork. What's your impression of that, Anna? I think that the artwork's great. It reminds me of Charles Dickens or Sherlock Holmes, that kind of thing, because yeah. it's supposed to be Victorian-era England, which just because of the types of books I like to read, it's very... Um, interesting to me but there's lots of details on the cards I think they're really fun they show you relaxing on a yacht or um, you know taking your taking your carriage to dinner um, they're just kind of quirky fun um, characters and pictures yeah so that's fun and I I think as we go on with these podcasts and reviews, I think you'll find that I really, the art has a lot to do with how I feel about a game. So I enjoy a game more if the, if the art's more interesting and detailed and um, thematic. I, I just enjoy that. It makes me enjoy a game more. So I think this one nails it mm-hmm. really easily. 
What I love about the the art, and I'm going to throw the theme in here too with art and opponents this time anyways, is it nails the whole, it's a goofy theme, like the whole idea of blowing money and being the winner because you blew money. And it takes that comedy and runs with it. But it's never outright, I don't know what word to use for it. It's not stupid. Like it looks like this could be a Sherlock Holmes game, for example, if you just look at some of the art without staring at it too much. But then you look at, for example, this card is dinner. And this is an, it's an experience card. It means you're going to dinner. <laughs> On this card, it shows a rather large man eating an entire chicken and an entire ham and just enjoying himself. But it's not outland it's outlandish, but it's not over the top, if that makes sense. It's still good art. Like it looks like the if it's the Victorian era theme, uh their properties are idyllic, like the farm is very pretty. But it's just funny enough. And like for example, on this dinner card, you can spend two pounds, or you can bring your horse with you, or ride your horse to dinner, however you want to look at it, and spend another two pounds. Um, the you know, you can go on a carriage ride, or you can go on a carriage ride with a guest and spend more money. Uh, there's some cards that are just crazy. Like, you can go on a boat trip, and maybe it's three pounds. But if you take a guest, and your dog, and your own personal chef, then you can really rack up and just blow all kinds of money on this boat trip. And I love that the cards, again, and this might come more into to the review territory too, the symbols aren't the easiest to grasp just by glancing at them, but I love that they don't take up the whole card. I love that you still have a lot of pretty artwork on the card and the symbols don't ruin it. Like, they really did consider the theme and the art while still trying to make the game playable. I mean, there's some games with have with cards that have art this good, but then they cover half of it with symbols or words, which might make this game... Maybe more intuitive if they wrote the words out that told you everything this card can do. But I love that once you know the game, you have this beautiful artwork and the symbols don't take the whole card up. Does that make sense? Like they don't run over the whole card with, with words. It's just, so once you know the symbols, you can kind of just look at the card and, and admire the artwork and and not you're not just staring at a bunch of words or symbols. I actually really like that. The cover of the box is really funny too because mm-hmm. he looks I mean he's like unshaven and barefoot and his ties and tidy looks like he's just partied hard all night and his property's fallen in behind him like it's propped up with <laughs> I didn't even notice that yeah it's now. propped up with sticks with sticks and the or logs or whatever yep. and the, the windows are broken out because he's depreciating the property so it that's that's great and then the shared tableau looks like a London street with the lanterns and everything. Mm-hmm. And your personal tableau, if you look in the background, looks like just a Victorian parlor. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of details that I I really love. I love how it sets the scene and then all of the the cards are thematic and quirky. Me too. Especially, I've always said I really prefer a board game over a card game. And most of the reason for that is I just love looking at an interesting board. Mm-hmm. Like, that's important to me. And all this game is, I would say, 75% a card game. Because there is still worker placement when you're choosing your cards and stuff. But I love the the boards that basically just hold the cards. Yeah, it works with the theme. It's like, yeah, it's like a street in Victorian era England. And like you said, your own personal board is just your little corner of the house where you're basically blowing the money. Um, 
Yeah, I think you can't separate the theme and the art in this game, and I think it's perfect. The components themselves, for a hobby game, uh, I want to say slightly above average for the components themselves. There's nothing that if you played a lot of games, this game's eight years old now, but if you played any games in eight years since this has come out that are not like Hasbro games, but are hobby-grade board games, there's nothing in these components that's going to blow you away. I love, but I do love the little top hats. These are your Aaron boys. Um, yeah. These are when you get your actions during the planning phase. I love the little houses. They're little tiny houses that just, when your house depreciates, you move this down to the next level. They're little golden houses. Um, and most of it's wood yes. as well. Like the, the money are, the money is made of cardboard, but most of the components are made of wood. Speaking of money, yeah, the it's certainly better than paper money. It's these nice kind of chunky little tokens. Um, the rectangular are like the shape of money, but they're small. And I think it works. Um, I mean, metal coins would be better. Yeah, it would be better. But short of that, I think the money tokens are good. I would have minded some more denominations. There's ones, fives, tens, and fifties. Why are there no twenties? There's several times I've kind of wanted some twenties, but that is a very minor thing. Um, the cards, I'll be honest, I sleeve my cards for most games. I think the cards are okay quality. They're not bad. Uh, they're fine, but I sleeve them anyway, so it doesn't matter too much to me. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, your, your companions, when you actually place them on your cards, they're just represented by little, small little discs. Uh, the horses are one color, chefs, dogs, guests. Those are very small, and they're just discs, but it works because it helps the game from being too cluttered. Like, you might have a card that... <laughs> sorry, little, our little buddy's... Uh, he's trying to get our attention. He's going crazy in there, trying to get our attention. He's not. He's figured out how to fake cough, so he's not choking in the background. He's just trying to <laughs> yeah. get our attention. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you might have several tokens in one card, so it works really well that they're just small little discs. Um... I have no complaints about the components. I would say they're above average and nothing shiny, nothing glitzy. Um, but the art is great. My wife's phone is apparently hooked up through a portable speaker. So if you hear very loud ringing in the background, that's <laughs> that's like worst case scenario for a podcast when your phone is hooked up through the speaker. <laughs> but anyways, components, I give a solid pass. Art, I give a high, high grade. Um, but what about just the feel of the game itself? What about the gameplay from the learning experience to just playing it? Um, how do you feel about it? So, like I said, I think learning it was a little trickier than usual. It could have been that it was late as well when we played it. I think we played it pretty late at night. Um, but I, I feel like I was just confused the whole time and part of that is because the object of the game is to get rid of your money instead of getting more money and then but part of that is also you've got that the the property market I think is what threw me for a loop because you have to you you have to also sell your property and make that money back and figure out how to get rid of it toward the end of the the phases and it, it's just kind of a different way of thinking I think for for a game mm-hmm. so you have to get used to getting rid of money instead of earning money or earning yeah. points so but but it's interesting and once you play it through 
it feels smooth and because it is thematic like you said once you play it, it it just feels right and it's it's easy it's fine I've not had any trouble since the first as soon as we started playing it really um I think that the symbology is trickier than some other games I, I don't feel like I usually have to sit and look at a key on on the instructions for most games but I, I still feel like with this one there's so much sim- symbology on it that I have to <laughs> <laughs> Our son is tearing the house down. He's seven months old. Um, I have to check. I have to check it for the cards yeah. to see to see what it is, or ask you. And I don't really like to ask you because you're trying to concentrate on the game. So, um, but but once you get it, even then, once you play it through a few times, it's. Um, I think for me, it was just one of those games I had to, I had to play instead of listening to to directions to. Yeah, <clears throat> like lengthy explanations. I felt I felt like the more you talked and explained, the more confused I got. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as we started playing, I was fine. And that's not yeah. usually the case. Usually, your yeah. explanations help me anyway. It it was it's just different enough. I mean, it's not a game with crazy mechanisms, but it's just different enough. Even when I was reading the rules, the whole property thing threw me off. I'm like, wait a minute, why would you maintain your property if that means it doesn't depreciate? Because you want it to depreciate. But in actual practice, it makes sense. If you can just imagine real life, you can really dump a lot of money into a property, maintaining it, upgrading it, whatever. And then you can sell it when the market's terrible at a loss. That's the idea here, is you can dump a lot of money into a house, maintaining it turn after turn. And then when it's time to sell it, but knowing when it's time to sell it, that took a game. I think after the first game, we both got it pretty good. But... I think the properties are the most complex part about the actual gameplay. Yeah, like for sure. Like, why do you want to buy properties if then you have to get the money back when you sell them? Well, because think of all the money you've wasted on this property in the meantime. The properties are like a money sink. It's like real life. They're a money sink. But unlike real life, you just want it to turn to crap so you can sell it for a loss. Um, and I'll just say straight up, we... We've played the the starting money is 70, um, but it actually comes with a small deck of cards where you can determine the length of the game, the amount of money you have to get rid of to win. It can range from 70 to 130. And today, we've always done 70. We played the game four times now, two player every time. Should have mentioned that sooner. I would like to play with more people, but we are reviewing this as a two player game. And I will say there is one fairly minor change with two players. Basically, you get an extra disc so you can block one of the spaces on the planning phase. Um, it's just to make it a little tighter, to make the other person maybe not have so many options on the planning phase. It's not a huge deal, but that is a little bit different than a multiplayer game. But we played a game to 100,000 pounds here this last time instead of 70. And it did make it feel different. So I really appreciate that about it. Because the properties... It seemed like when we were playing, we got to the point where we would buy them and we would dump them pretty quick. But when we played to 100, you had more time to get more properties to put more into the properties. Like I put four dogs on that one property and then I got a card that let me, for every dog on a farm, I lost more money. And then I got one that let me activate, in other words, maintain two farms for free every turn. So I had this farm engine going that I don't think was really 
viable in a shorter game. So the fact that you get to determine the length of the game before you even start, I think it's pretty clever. Um, and that can either be random or it can just decide, but it ranges from 70 to 130. Um, I do think 70 is a good place to start, though, for the first couple games. I feel like by our third game, playing to 70,000, it was pretty short for us. Do you know how long it took us? The first game, I know, was a little longer, but what about the couple after that? Because the box says 45 to 75 minutes. I have no clue, honestly. Well, I, I feel like we were down about 40 minutes or so. Um, I don't know. I, I, I was just going to spoil this. I was pretty much having fun, at least after that first game. I was pretty much having fun the whole time, so it can be hard for me to tell how long I was spending on a game. But I would say it's about an hour long um, with two players if you're playing probably even to 100,000. Yeah, that, that so. feels accurate because it's it's one of those games that has phases, so you know when it's going to end. True. But those are Those are pretty... It will end after seven rounds regardless. Right. And when we were playing to only 70 pounds, we were pretty much ending faithfully, I think, on the fifth turn. But we yes. went all the way to the last round. We did both go bank. No, I went bankrupt. You almost went bankrupt, right? In the final round. So we yeah. did go to seven rounds this time, but it did still end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all I'll say about the whole iconography thing, though, to get back to that, it is an upfront learning but I personally, having played it four times now, have no need for the symbols on the back of the rule book. Um, but I'm the one that read the rules to begin with. I'm the one that taught the game. So for me, they're not indecipherable by any means because I don't even need that anymore. I can look at a card and instantly tell what it is. And I feel like Anna's pretty much there. I only saw her glance at that thing maybe twice, maybe just once during the whole last game. Um so, yeah, that, I mean, that's not ideal, but it, I wouldn't let it hold you back. It's nothing like, I've heard Race for the Galaxy, which I've not played. I've heard Race for the Galaxy is kind of a bear with the symbols. I don't think this is anywhere near that bad. Um, what was I saying? Yes, the symbology, I don't, I don't, I think some people have overblown it. I mean, do you think you're even going to, I mean, if we take six months off and don't play the game, you will need the, the symbols again. But I feel like you pretty much only looked at it once or twice this last game. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, it's just certain cards to me are that have... Some cards literally have four different symbols on them. So you have to... I still have to look at it sometimes. I don't know. I just feel like it makes sense. I would like... I wish I knew one of the ones you're talking about. Because I feel like even the ones that have four different symbols, it might be like uh, going to dinner. And it shows a chef's hat and it shows a lady, and it shows a horse. That just means for each one of those you bring with you, you get to spend that additional amount of money. I don't know. Don't want to dwell on that too much, though. I think this is one of those games that does ask a little bit of you up front. It it is, because it is a little harder to learn, but I think it gets super smooth, and it just flows so well by your second game, certainly by your third game. And because it takes about an hour to play, that first game is going to take longer. But after that, it takes about an hour. Um, if you played the shortened game, the only to 70 pounds, I think a two-player game, you're going to get it down to about 35 minutes, honestly. Uh, almost might be too quick. That's why I'm glad it can go up to, to 130 pounds. Uh, it just works really well together. It does have the whole engine building thing going on a little bit to where you might have a carriage in your personal tableau but if you have a coach driver, 
your carriage now costs more money to use. And you might have a townhouse. Well, you might get a card that lets you activate any townhouse for free. And then you might get a card that lets you add $3 to the maintenance cost of any townhouse. And so it's kind of building up to where your cards on your personal board are more wasteful and more wasteful and more wasteful, which is totally what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I just love the way it feels. It doesn't feel quite like anything I've played before. It It's not foreign, though. It's not totally unique. It's not totally crazy. I'm losing my wife rapidly, if you're wondering why I'm doing all the talking, because our little guy's falling apart. <laughs> he can't stand all this talking, and we're not talking to him. Um, but it's just it's just a lesson, really, to not record a podcast before your child goes to bed. But now I know, if it's a game I'm really excited to talk about like this one, we really need to wait till he goes to bed. And I knew better, but I didn't do it. And now you, the fans, the people who tolerate this podcast, you're paying the price. As my wife runs into something hard and wooden, it sounded like. Um, I don't know what to say about the gameplay. Um, I'm going to talk for Anna now and say that um, stalling. <laughs> I'm stalling. Trevor is a terrible husband. I don't like his face. Okay, I'm back. Oh, there she is. Any what? final thoughts about just the game before we give our reviews, before I explain our new review system? Nope, I think I'm ready to review. Okay. So, whew, I did way too much talking this time. And little guy, I'm looking at you. It's your fault because your mommy kept having to disappear. But we have finally agreed upon a new rating system that we're both happy with. Anna did not like my 1 to 10 rating scale at all. And the thing is, I kind of decided I didn't really like it either for board games. It, it was too specific. Because really, it depends on my mood. I might be in the mood for worker placement this week. I might be in a sci-fi mood. And that totally affects my score for a game. Or how much I want to play it. So we're, we simplified things. At least I hope it's simpler. And what we're going to do now is uh, check the mailbox. And Anna, in our mailbox, which is amazing because we live in a cave. We don't even get mail. But somehow we've got this survey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got this survey. And you know how the the city or the government or individual companies will send out surveys in the mail. And it'll say something like, uh, it'll have a statement like, I believe our state senator is doing a great job with the budget, which doesn't even make sense, but just run with it. And then you have six choices. You can strongly disagree with that statement. You can disagree. You can slightly disagree. You can slightly agree. You can agree or you can strongly agree. So basically, these surveys have six points. And you can go from strongly disagree to the best, most positive response is strongly agree. And then you got everything in between. Um, and the survey we just received in the mail, Anna, says, I believe Last Will is an excellent game. Would you like me to answer the survey question first, or would you like to go first? Um, I can go first. So the survey question says, and this, this convoluted mess is our new rating system, so just bear with us. But every time we're going to ask this question, we believe X game is an excellent game. And then you're just going to fill out the little bubble on the survey from strongly disagree all the way up to strongly agree 
based on how good you think the game is. So, okay. So last wheel, I really like the artwork. I really like the theme. I'm a sucker for a good theme that has great art with it. I just think that makes a game just ups the ante and makes it more fun to play. So last wheel ticks the boxes for me in that area. Um, a little trickier to learn to play for me personally. I don't, I think it's just a kind of a different game with a lot of mechanics, has a lot going on. Um, so it takes a good playthrough or two to get the hang of it. Um, it's definitely a game that I wouldn't mind coming back to. So I will probably rate this game a five, which is, I agree that it's an excellent game. And probably realistically with this rating system, we'll, we'll probably be between a four and a six. Um, and that's just because Trevor really vets our games before he buys them. He, he really does his research to see if it's a game that we're going to enjoy. And, you know, he watches reviews and really checks it out before he invests in it. And we don't really have the opportunity to play a lot of games that you haven't already bought. So a lot yeah. of rating systems that we went over are kind of based on, would you buy this game? Would you not buy this game? And that just doesn't really apply to us. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but, um, you know, every once in a while there's, and we have so many games. You pointed this out. We have so many games downstairs that you bought ages ago mm -hmm. that need to be played. So we may pull out a dud every once in a while. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's that's a good point. Um, you know, if you listen to the Dice Tower or even some smaller board game podcasts than that, a lot of times they're getting games sent free from the publisher, or they're making a career out of out of the podcast, so they're going out and buying games blindly without really knowing if they're going to like it or not. We can't afford to do that. So for me to, for us to play a game that's truly terrible should be a pretty rare occurrence. Um, so just know that. It's not that we like every game. It's that I've already chosen carefully these games, hoping we're going to like it. So Anna's right. It's probably going to be pretty rare that we rate a game a one or a two, or even a three. Um <laughs> But that being said, I, I completely agree with Anna. I'm giving this a five. So if you like numbers, this is a five out of six. But that means I agree. I think it is an excellent game. The only thing holding me back from a six saying I strongly agree that it's an excellent game. Um, maybe it's just my slight preference for board games. At the end of the day, this is very much a card game. But it's an excellent one. It's... Um, and I do know that there's probably going to be some people I'd really struggle to teach this to. Mm -hmm. And I do know if we do what we tend to do, which is my fault for having so many games mostly, but if we wait, which I don't plan to, but we played this game four times now, I'm very, very comfortable with the rules. I was very comfortable with the rules after our second game, which isn't bad. I, I don't need the reference sheet anymore. So I'm happy about that. And I'm okay with you looking at it sometimes if you need to. It's not like it was really slowing us down. Um, but if we waited six or seven months before we played this again, I'm probably going to have to look at the reference sheet somewhere. I do know that. But I think the game, just once you know it, once you've played it a time or two, it's so smooth and it works so well. And I'm very interested. I've never played a game quite like this before. And the, the theme is part of that. 
I'm very interested to play some of Val- Val- <laughs> Vladimir Suki's other games. This makes me even more determined to play Underwater Cities, um, which is one I was already pretty excited about, so it didn't take much. Um, but yeah, uh, we both give this game a 5 out of 6. In other words, we both agree it is an excellent game. I think that rating a game has to be, you know, people like games based on just a, the feel of it, too. You yeah. know, like some games just to, for you personally have a great feel to it. And yeah. it might be the time that you're playing it. It might be the people you're playing it with. And, you know, sometimes I'll be listening to you'll have a podcast playing or something, a video playing. And I'm like, what? They don't love that game? How could they not love that game? Yeah. Or vice versa. Like, why Why do you even bother playing that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a personal preference. And sometimes it's just you get a really good feeling when you play a game. Yeah. It, it might just be that the first game went, you know, it was just magic with the cards or what, what you were dealt. So, yeah. you know, that. There's something to be said, too, about us buying these games with our money. If we don't absolutely adore it the first time, we're probably going to play it again because we bought the game, you know. We're not getting these for free. I think it's easy, like, if you're in a group of gamers and somebody else is buying some of the games, it's easy to play a game one time and think, eh, that really didn't fit for me. I'm done with it. But at the same time, I think first impressions are important. But this game left a good first impression on me. I, I It's just, it was a little trickier to learn than I thought it might be. But yeah, I, I think it's great. Now, I think I'm going to go ahead and to keep our podcast legit and consistent, I'm going to go back and quickly assign our survey score to the other two games we reviewed on this podcast. The first one was Wingspan. The second one was Azul. And this is really going to be gut feeling. Again, this is why I don't like the 1 to 10 scale for board games. I've just had this revelation because it's kind of based on your mood. But based on my mood right now, at this moment... In the new year of 2020, <laughs> little buddy is giving his input. Uh, Wingspan was the first game we covered on the show. And on our scale of one to six, survey question, is Wingspan an excellent game? I'm actually going to go slightly agree. I'm going to go four on Wingspan. And that is surprising to me, but I think, I I don't know, maybe it should be a five, but Maybe it's because it's less hyped. It might just come down to that. But I think I kind of like Last Wheel a little bit more uh, as far as the game itself. Uh, what do you want to... Do you care to... Well, that that kind of makes it weird. Like, because <laughs> if well, you this compare... this is what we chose. Well, no, no, no. Like, if you compare it to Last Wheel. Like, do I like Wingspan or Last Wheel better? Yeah. I, I think I do like Last Wheel better, but... I still agree. I, I think that Wingspan's an excellent game. Yeah. So, well, I, I, to me, they still fall in the five category. I mean, they're... Okay. I, but Our I, system's broken already. <laughs> We're going to have to go back to my scale. I just uh, wanted to do a flat one to six scale. That was not this. Um, I don't know. Basically, I'm saying... Oh, my goodness. Uh, he's falling apart, dude. Wow. Sorry, y'all. We will not record again with our son awake. We gave it a try. Because uh, he's really he's really good, but he just loves our attention on him, and it's not right now. Well, in his defense, he was really good. Yeah. While we were setting well, I guess it we're up done. for the first thirty minutes, I guess we're done. Um, I, I I don't know, and I'm going to say Azul was a five on our scale because I think Azul was an excellent game. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's simple, 
but it's an excellent game. Um, I'm saying Wingspan is an excellent game, but it's on the low end of excellent. That's what this scale means. A four means slightly agree. I guess it's slightly excellent. I mean, it's a silly rating system, but that's how it works. So I'm going to say Wingspan is on the high end of a four, meaning it's excellent. But Azul and Last Whale to me are fully excellent. <laughs> um, that's me. Anyways, that's Cardboard Cave. This has been a mess of an episode. I apologize. I was looking forward to talking about this game. But uh, our little guy is just adorable, and he's milking it for all it's worth. And the cave is damp. I mean, it's been raining all day, and I'm just getting rained on. Uh, you have anything else to say before we burn this thing down? We have to have a fire to burn it down. So you don't have to. You're not going to fire. It's too warm out. in here. Well, I'm sorry. I tried. Yeah. All right. Well, go and let yourselves out when you want to. Uh, I think we're going to head on to to bed in the afternoon, which doesn't really make sense. But you can stay around and visit if you'd like. Um, hey, last wheel set up in the den if you want to go play it. It's a great game. Yeah. Check it out if you're a gamer. If you if you're on this podcast. As someone who's curious about hobby games, find a gamer to teach Last Will to you and decide for yourself. Because it's not the easiest game to learn, but it is easy to love once you play it. Bye-bye.